0: Hey there friends, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to invite you to our next Collaboration Zone Zoom party. This is a free Zoom chat get together with all of my entrepreneur friends in the Rise and Recovery Network, where we can share mind and business growth tips, strategies, and you get to network with other entrepreneurs of all experience levels. So if you wanna level up your business and get connected, book your spot today, head on over to www. The road forward slash collaboration zone when we recover we are returning to a normal state of health mind or strength we begin the process of regaining control over something that was lost Welcome to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast, and my name is Tamar, your host. Have you ever felt like you were meant for more? Well, I help people discover their purpose so they can follow their passion and realize what they are truly capable of. My mission is to empower people in recovery to embrace their authentic selves, live up to their true potential, and answer the question, what lies beyond recovery for you? Hey guys, thanks for joining me tomorrow here from the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. So glad you could come and hang out with me on this adventure in really discovering my life beyond recovery. You know, recovery gave me that solid foundation and still continues to do so today. It's not something that I've let go of, but I've really started to understand that you know, my past was a gift that I could use as experience to help others. It's also drawn me into my purpose. So, you know, I I get excited to wake up every day and I still do, you know, even though I've got that extra time. um, Of course, I've managed to fill a lot of that up. But, you know, I've I've have the time now to do what I'm 100% passionate about, I still love to get up early and get things done because I have to say mornings are my favorite time and it was not always like that, right? It's just because that started, I started to realize that if I did everything that was important to me first, I never had any excuses anymore not to get it done. And then I could kind of do what I wanted to in the afternoon. And frankly, that feels good. You know, I still operate like that today. I pick what is my most important stuff to get through in a day. I do that stuff first. I schedule my time. I condense it now. You know, if you haven't, make sure you head back and listen to when I talk about being more intentional with your time, especially as an entrepreneur, I think that's incredibly important. So I batch everything that I do, including the podcast, right? I I usually spend a day just recording episodes for the month so that it's not something I have to focus on after right I know exactly every month what I'm going to do I record on that and then I move on to the next task so this has been an absolutely incredible journey and you know now that I've gone through the neuro change method and I'm a master practitioner it's It's um, an area that I'm really excited to add into my coaching tools because I have been going through this myself. I'm in the middle of a 90-day challenge right now with the rest of the um, master practitioners. And it's really implementing all these strategies that I think is really going to change the way people do business, the way entrepreneurs grow and scale their business, because you know, it is all about mastering your mind. I heard that, you know, we talk about this in the Tomorrow and Lindsay Go Neuro episode on beliefs. You could have the exact same goal, two people. You could do the exact same steps, but it's always going to be that person who has the belief in their ability to accomplish that goal that is going to be successful. So if you haven't listened to that episode, make sure you head back and listen to it. Well, today we are not here to talk about my experience. We are here to chat with my great friend Chris Neal from the Having a Cuppa podcast. Chris is so amazing. He is such a fun guy to chat with. We laugh a lot um i you know met him outside of the podcasting world and then we realized we had this in common so it was really great to connect and uh have him on the show you know chris talks about how he grew up health issues he developed right his story on falling into alcoholism and where his addiction took him right we also talk about the stigma of addiction you know he's a radio voice you're going to love his voice by the way he is so much fun And we also talk about what inspired him to do what he's doing today, right? What inspired him to create the podcast, Having a Cuppa. So you want to make sure you go listen to that. We're going to have all the information in the show notes for you as well. And I really hope that you just enjoy our chat. Welcome back, everybody. I'm hanging out with my good friend, Chris Neal from Having a Cuppa Podcast. Did I say that right, Chris?
1: you did thank you for having me Tamar. it's a pleasure (laughs) to be here Mum.
0: i am so glad you're here so why don't we just kind of do an introduction kind of tell us who you are about yourself what you do today
1: well first off i'm a 28 going on 29 year mesomorph i like to speak for a living i spout more than 600 syllables every half a minute over the course of a microphone which is very fun to do. It is entertaining, entertaining for some, but annoying to others. So, sadly. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, what I do professionally is I'm in mass communications. I'm a radio DJ. I'm a podcast host, as you aptly mentioned. My portfolio extends to other areas of the performing arts, drama, and voice specifically for commercials and narration. So everything communications and artsy-tartsy-wise.
0: Well, You have a great voice. I mean, the first time I met you, you, I'm like, he's got a radio voice. I just have this sense. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: well, what can you do? A lot of people, when you initially go into the business, no one says one darn thing about your voice. But when you tell them that you are in this profession, all of a sudden, oh, you've got a beautiful voice. Oh, hear those pipes. (gasps) Then all of a sudden, they start paying attention. But to tell you the truth, (laughs) when we were in college, we were taught not to have a radio voice. So I don't know what a radio voice actually is, to tell you the God's honest truth. And that's a complex science for another day. (laughs) But I appreciate the compliment. Thank you. (laughs) No problem.
0: I always appreciate a good voice. So why don't we kind of go back? I always kind of, you know, when I share my story, I always love to start off with my childhood only because... There's a lot of, you know, I think misconceptions about addiction and how everybody gets into it. It's not kind of a one size fits all. Everybody embarks in their own journey. And for me, Mm -hmm. I had a really great childhood growing up, right? When I started drinking, it was how it made me feel, right? And it was in my genes, Mm. it runs in my family, but it had nothing to do with my upbringing. What was your upbringing like? You know, what did childhood look like for you?
1: Tamar, you hit the nail on the head on two points, growing up and euphoria, and those correlate with my years. In contrast, I had a very dysfunctional household growing up. Uh, My father was a raging alcoholic, still sadly is to this day, classic narcissist, and sadly we are estranged. My mother was the total polar opposite, a saint of this earth you couldn't find anywhere and she did the best that she could to raise me. So it was two secular uh, and emotional halves that just caused a lot of damage in my years growing up. I had my first sip as a result at the age of 14, and I've said this before on another occasion. In fact, I believe you were in attendance when we met. I've never known love and respect throughout the course of my life, and the only way that my father showed me love, inverted commas, was when he fed me alcohol. At the age of 16, when I started having uh, a a part-time job in between my schooling, that's when I would start to do pub crawling, going into the one tavern or the one nightclub or the other pub and grill to find a temporary reprieve from all the problems that were going on at home I'd like to add where I was physically and emotionally abused by my father my mother was emotionally abused and this carried on for a good period of my life until such a time when my mother decided enough was enough and eventually we both became educated on the concept of narcissism and especially in when I decided To put my past to rest all of these revelations started popping up as to why did i start to partake and why did all of this happen to me it was a result of trauma and i wanted to use alcohol and i wanted to use opioids to escape through that euphoria and i hope that answered the question to that extent
0: 100 percent and You know, I know for me, and you mentioned it, right? I think a lot of us will use alcohol as an escape because I know, you know, even though I had a great upbringing, we moved around a lot and I never felt like I fit in, right? It always had to make new friends and everything was really awkward and it was very, it's trying, especially when you become a teenager and you don't know Mm. where you fit into Mm. the world. Not only that, I developed perfectionism because anything i did my father was always very hard on me and would be like well you can do better okay that's great but you can do better and so i like it was like incessantly trying to get that love and validation from external oh, yeah. sources like all the time now oh, yeah you know when you first drank obviously you know escaping the childhood that you had grown up with but did you kind of know you were in trouble like did you have that same thing it was just that ease and comfort and you just kind of knew you were in trouble or did it get it was a gradual
1: it was a gradual process i'd like to go back to what you had mentioned of being an outsider it was very much the same for me because when i was in my last three years of high school i wrote my standard eight nine and matric 11, uh, 10, eleven and twelve with english as first language and uh, we were brit taught english trained and i also couldn't fit in with the english kids as it were because i'm a dutchman by origin and so as a result a lot of my time was spent being in my own head where alcohol was concerned it was fun that's what my, my initial thought was it was just this gay old time of what is this magical feeling that i'm feeling whenever that liquid cocaine went down my throat growing up i would say about hmm, now i catch myself short let's say between the ages of 21 to 26 it wasn't a fact of fun anymore it was more a fact of i need it but I wasn't getting that euphoria. And instead, euphoria was replaced with depression and misery. So it was gradual.
0: So, when did things get really bad? Because I know for me, I wasn't afraid to put anything in my body. If it gave me that mind altering feeling and made me forget, I would try it. And it's it, sadly, you know, I had friends pass away in high school and nothing deterred me. Like, I just, nothing was like, well, this is probably going to be a bad idea. It was like, oh, I'll try this, right? And, Obviously, I suffered the consequences. So was it kind of like that for you as well?
1: A backstory to that, Tamar, absolutely. When 2015 rolled around, I was just out of college. And shortly after New Year's, my father left my mother. It was just a trial separation. And things started to unravel very quickly for me because here I was six months away from getting my a diploma, which is the equivalent to either an associate degree or a licentiate in international terms. And I had nowhere to go profession wise. All of a sudden, here I had to go and I had to support my mother financially. So in between scouting for work and trying to make a name for myself with no one to guide me, no one to hold my hand, that's where it started to accumulate as well. But at that time, I didn't think I had a problem where it The alert signs did start to become prevalent. Was when I was already into my career, I'd say about year two to year three. I was living by myself, earning my own coin. Uh, I had moved out of the house to the other part of the country to uh, to facilitate the process of beginning a new job. And a lot of people tend to tell you that you would become conservative the moment that you start to have a family. I can faithfully go on record by saying it's a load of balderdash. I can faithfully say it's a load of balderdash. It's not the truth. You become very conservative the moment that you start earning your own coin and you start have to cover your own overheads. And as much as I am an extrovert, if I can't connect with you on a level of intelligence, then being in your company is going to be very painful. And that's how it was for me when I was living on my own. The town residents were very kind, very sweet, but I couldn't come down onto their level. So I did a lot of my drinking in isolation and I was very much holed up in the small little cabbie hole situated by a lake on the other side of the province. And uh, during that period, this is what I wanted to get to, uh, things were going very wrong career-wise. My management at the radio station that I was working at didn't want to promote me, I was more than qualified to sh- to move from nighttime to daytime and they just wouldn't facilitate the process. Sadly, cronyism is a nasty byproduct of this business. And they kept cutting my, sh- my uh, shifts, my on-air shifts and I was dependent on that salary. So that accelerated my addiction uh, because of the excess amount of stress and depression and the- also the negative self-thoughts that I have had past tense, of am I good enough? Am I really making the right choice? All that, those uh, consequences, all those motifs were playing out in my head. And that's where I should have started noticing that addiction does have to do with mental health as a resultant of undiagnosed trauma. So in any event, 2019 rolls by. I had had to give up my apartment eventually because my overheads was so excessive and I couldn't bear to afford it anymore. But I parted with my landlord on very good terms, paid him his last dues to seize, and I had to move back into the house. Now, where I reside and where the station was is a good 200 kilometers apart. So ultimately, I had to travel every second night 200 kilometers to get to work and back. So I was basically working just to fill up my car. And every moment that I got off shift, the first thing that I would say is, I want a shot of booze. I would like a glass of wine. I would like a glass of beer, and uh, ultimately, that sequence of events caused everything to boil over eventually.
0: So, did you? Were there times within that period that you had tried to stop? Because I know, for myself personally, I didn't realize that I had a problem until 2012 when I actually gave up alcohol. But many times before that, I had hit different bottoms in my life, some very severe. Um, some you know weren't as low but I would always you know if I if I'd quit for you know two weeks a month I would try I would make bets like I would change up alcohol I would do everything in my power to justify that I did not have a problem it was the rest of the world
1: you know what I did there were a couple of signs that uh, came my way that perhaps it was time to stop I was starting to become increasingly ill uh, but i wrote it off as just the common cold to give you a stupid idea and i began to notice the word sober via social media and that was a story of its own but one particular day i was off shift i just completed a all nighter and i woke up one morning and you ought to know the feeling that if you wake up sometimes there's like a pressing feeling against your ear it feels like you there's a pressing motion like what i'm doing with my the audience can't see it my middle finger towards my ear lobe it felt like that sort of motion and i thought oh my i think i might have an ear infection and when i had tried to treat it, it because i had something similar previously i thought it was an outer ear infection dreaded mistake bought an over-the-counter ear drop thing and i placed it to the effective area and i got terrible vertigo as a result i had to go see a doctor and what i thought was a outer ear infection would culminate in a and this is not a fast ladies and gentlemen it's a diagnosis of drug-induced bronchial pneumonia i had damaged my inner ear because of excess opioid use wow i promise you it it caught me by surprise the moment that i learned it myself that should have been the first indicator that i should have given up but ultimately it came to a point of emotional surrender i'll take you back to what i mentioned when i moved out of the house Um, as i said i would be traveling extensively for work and in between i would do a couple of jobs but not nothing major so but i was continually on the road Uh, if you're a freelancer you don't have a set nine to five you're always heading from point a to point b to do work and on an appointed night, my mother was with me. She insisted she wanted to travel with me to my destination because I was working nighttime hours. And we got to talking about trivial matters. I can't, for the life of me, tell you what it was. And the next moment, tears began pouring down my face. And I said, Mother, I have to come clean with you. I've got an alcohol and drug problem. The words just escaped my mouth. And naturally, when you do something like that and you're in a very fragile frame of mind, you'd think to yourself, you're going to be crucified, condemned. Get out of my house, you harlot, you charlatan. But the first miracle for me was when my mother smiled from ear to ear and said, I know you have. I was just waiting for you to tell me. And uh, from then on, what I thought I was going to be come sober, Five months went by, but in this period, I'm a completely dry alcoholic. And I'll use that label definitely because I wasn't doing step work. I didn't go to an AA or I didn't do a transitional rehab program. None of it. I was just a five-month dry alcoholic. Got sober in October. Hey, that rhymes. Look at me. Poet didn't know it. (laughs) But uh, in February of 2019, the following year, Uh, I was in the shower one day, and when I exited, I noticed that I had a profusive nosebleed, excuse me, nosebleed, and I initially thought that I had nicked myself shaving, but when I noticed the blood traces coming from the bridge of my nose, uh, just to give you backstory to that, in the meantime as well, I had a bump on my nose about the size of a shirt button, and I thought, because I have an oily skin, that it was just a pimple or a, uh, just a bump that won't go away because of excess hormones. But this is where the bleed originated from. To cut a long story short, went for a biopsy through a dermatologist, and I was given the diagnosis that it was a hormonal cyst, very common for men my age with an oily skin. Had it extracted. And about two weeks later i was doing a fill-in shift one o'clock in the afternoon and i got a call from the dermatologist and i got the official diagnosis of stage three basal cell sarcosynoma skin cancer there are two types the sarcosynoma and the melanoma the sarcosynoma is protruding cancer cells that hide underneath the layer of skin the melanoma enters the nerve system of the body and that's a Big scary one, because that has a greater risk of protruding vital parts and organs of the body. I was very fortunate to get the protrusive one underneath the skin, but it was already at stage three. And uh, <clears throat> needless to say, tomorrow when I got that diagnosis, that's when I really, really hit the bottom, because my thoughts were initially: I'm trying to better myself. I've given up the sins, and now my ticket is going to be punched. But there is someone up there really loves me because not long after that, a friend of mine, uh, who is a very, very knowledgeable plant. um, He's knowledgeable in plants. He has two master's degrees in plant chemistry and the other one in plant psychology referred me to a more holistic treatment that was offered by a doctor who was a pharmacologist himself and a former, uh, I said pharmacologist, a oncologist with that, and uh, began doing alternative treatment through him and within a question of a month, thank heavens on high that uh, through that treatment I was able to uh, go into complete remission within a question of a month.
0: Well, I know and that's I...
1: where I, sorry, I just wanted to say that that's where. I began to actively pursue sobriety in its entirety.
0: Well, I'm super grateful you're here. That's for sure. I'm I'm so so glad that we met. And um, you know, I I remember when I first came into recovery that I I remember thinking as soon as I saw the three letter word God on the wall, I'm like, oh, here we go. We're going to be part of a cult. I'm not I'm not doing this. Or right? I'm going to do everything except for that. And, you know, today, when I look back, right, like you said, we're here for a reason. And mm. I think that, mm. you know, looking back now, I'm like, I should not have made it to where I am today. Like there was so many times where I had, you know, I didn't have the faith back then, but I believe that I was kept alive for a reason. And that's, you know, to find recovery and do what I do today. So what Absolutely. did early recovery look like for you?
1: Well, you hit the nail on the head. When something of such a great magnitude happens to you, you really don't understand why. Uh, In sobriety, those questions are very prevalent, but especially if you have survived cancer, there is something called cancer survivorship, which is shell shock, guilt, call it what you will, about why me. So the two correlate with one, one another quite effectively. Now to answer your question, uh, it was a blur for me for the first couple of months because I was trying to find my feet. Um, I was emotional for quite some time after I got the all clear from my doctors that I'm not going to, to be eaten away by this disease. And the thought concurrently in my back mind was why? Why am I here? What am I going to do as a result? And the best way that I was able to combat that confusion, as it were, was first of all to find my sense of humor. I'm a big firm believer in laughing until your belly hurts. You had Frank King not too long ago, and I believe he must have said it in some form or another. Comedy, in some point or another, stems from tragedy, but from tragedy, there can also stem humor. So, Rediscovering my sense of humor and that that levity was the first indicator that everything was going to be all right. And it was at that point as well that I began reaching out and following, just following exclusively, the international recovery communities, because shocker, nothing like that exists in my native homeland. Um, Rediscovering my passion for what it is that I do, the performing arts was also another key indicator of overcoming that. All of these was just to try and get my mind into a positive frame or mindset rather to help me understand the why again. Um, And I think the mistake that I made initially was to throw myself into work because I had not allowed myself to recover emotionally from what I had been through, because I had just gotten sober, I had just survived this disease, and I didn't allow myself to feel all the feels. Part two to that as well is, and I'm not saying this to bash anybody who might be listening to this, but often when you hear, speak to someone, who do you speak to? I can confide almost anything to my mother, because as I mentioned, my mother has been a very integral part in my life. So, if that makes me a mommy's boy, well, I'll take that. It's water for ducks back for me, it's horse and cart. But unfortunately, I know as well that my mother can't entirely understand the gravitas of what I'm trying to bring over. <clears throat> so, seeking out someone uh, who had more or less moved in the same parameters that I did was integral as well to uh, uh, recover emotionally from both plights and ultimately it did happen for me because what had happened was that i ultimately saw the writing on the wall and i said to my previous station that thank you for your time but i think it's time for us to part ways we did it amicably acrimoniously on their part uh, resigned december 10th 2019 and shifted from the dutch market to the english-speaking market and while i was there i actually met the most wonderful woman she was a fan of my show which was a fledgling show because I didn't think that I could do hard-hitting events in between all the music bits. I was just treading water. And we got to talking, and I, without even thinking yet again, I said to her that uh, I'm in recovery. (laughs) There was 50 seconds of dead silence, and I thought, oh, dear, what now? And she says to me that I'm a four-year in recovery myself, and if you'd ever like to, no – no rush, but I'd like you to come to the meeting that I attend. And that was five months before the lockdown started, so it was virtual. But uh, the moment that I did tomorrow, everything, all the boxes started, were ticked for me. But bear in mind, it was a natural progression. I wasn't forced into it. I didn't rush to it right away. It was a natural progression. I say again, someone up there clearly loves me. To have let it worked out in that order
0: absolutely um you know and i love that you say that you know you mentioned hey I'm, I'm sober because i used to i know when i came into the rooms i was very ashamed of everything right i had these limiting beliefs that who am i to do anything important in life or help people or anything of that matter like i just these negative thoughts would just eat away at me, right? And I'm like, I should just be happy. I should just settle. I'm not going to talk about the fact that, you know, I've recovered from, you know, or recovering from being an alcoholic. Um, But there was a lot of shame to it, right? Because I still, I had to work through that. As you know, when we work through the 12 steps, we really build a solid foundation. And I think that's so key to my own sobriety was building that foundation first. And like you said, feeling, because the first year I was sober, I cried more than I have in my whole entire life. I was like, what is this wet stuff coming out of my face? Like, it's so weird. <laughs> but, you know, the, I think there's still that stigma around addiction. And I think it's, you know, more and more. And we have mutual friends that now they recover out loud and they talk about it because I think it's so important. And like you said, it's linked to mental health. I think we have mm. to start talking about it.
1: You hit the nail again on the head and you've presented a broad variety of subjects and just that one stanza alone there is a shame and it's natural to feel like that it's shell shock i don't know what other way to put it because that that, that's the way that it was for me but the moment that i attended my first meeting and the acceptance Now, let me explain to you, and perhaps if any one were to be listening who's sober curious, it might work out differently for them, but this is how it was for me. I'll never tell people how things are, and I'll never tell people what they should do. Key points. When I attended my first meeting, it was people like you and I. normal, blue-collar folks. I mean the one gentleman has a hairstyle that looks like a Mexican wave. But by profession, he's a chartered accountant and literate, like you would not believe. And the moment that the processions got started and they started reading of what the whole uh, aim of the meeting was, I tried my best to, you know, uh, bat my eyelids like that, you know, continuously batting them like at the speed of a, of a, of a typewriter. I tried biting my, the bottom half of my lip but the tears just kept strolling down my cheeks and I knew that I had found my home. Uh, What was part two of what you mentioned uh, with regards to recovering out loud? Oh, yes. Um, Backstory to that as well. When the hard lockdown had begun, I'd begun a new job, which was volunteer basis. I wasn't being paid for it. We were on the verge of securing a financial deal if the lockdown hadn't soured things, but that's the way it played out you know, once the twig has been bent, so grows the tree. And there I was at home, uh, looking for content to make things a lot more compelling for people to accumulate an audience. And I'd begun to think to myself, what would be a unique selling point. And I thought, let's talk about recovery. And so through social media, I began uh, inviting people onto my show, which would be pre-recorded, pre-packaged, then played out on air at a specified date. And in my interactions with them, I began to realize that they're not afraid to bear their scars and to mention why they're doing what they're doing. It's just a form of motivation, number one. Number two, it's to rid that stigma the success rate of what it has produced thereof i don't know but i can't say but it's astounding to see how the response has been from the united states specifically north america including and i notice one or two in england uk also are starting to catch on to the trend in my native homeland I don't want to sound like I'm vain or self-promoting or relentless in saying this, but I think I'm the only one, because I began to notice that ears were starting to prick up because of the content from overseas that were dealing with hard matters like trauma and abuse and uh, 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 subjects of homelessness, things that were not commonplace on national radio being heard before. And I was hoping that it was going to, you know, light the embers under people to get them to to admit that, yes, I'm also having problems. I'm also, I can identify with that. I want in on this. That was my hope. But something else happened entirely, because ultimately I left my morning show after a year in pursuit of other uh, fruitful ventures. But internationally there was starting to More attention was starting to come my way of people wanting to talk to me about their experiences and what had helped them come right. And I began to notice that through their dealings with me and telling me their stories, that I can take something from that and put it into my own little toolbox. So I'm the one that's starting to get better. And who knows? They don't have to say it, they don't have to whatsoever. But somewhere along the line, someone in my native homeland, will be touched as well. So it all worked out for the best.
0: Uh, You know, it's interesting that, you know, how it's different from where you are to North America, but I think eventually when we do recover out loud and we're not afraid to say something, people will start kind of coming out and and talking about their experience. I used to travel for business a lot. And of Mm -hmm. course, you know, when you're traveling sales, you take clients out for dinner and drinks and everything. And so my first experience of that, I actually had you know talked to a friend of mine and I said, you know, what do I say if people ask that I don't drink? She goes, well, you don't drink. And I actually came up with something that when somebody would ask me, oh, you're not gonna have a beer? I'm like, no, I'm a retired professional. And it was always, <laughs> and I still use that one today, but what it did was t- one of two things, actually sometimes both, <laughs> is I would have the people who were going to continue on doing their thing, didn't really care, already have their buzz going. They'd be like, ah, that's great. But then you always had somebody in the group that would come and sit down beside me and say, hey, you don't drink anymore. And I would never have to go back into my story, but Mm. I would just say, no, I don't. You know what? I can't handle my alcohol. I'll be, you know, topless on the table here and that might be fun for some of you, but not for me, because then we'll get kicked out. And I would just turn, because I love humor too, right? (laughs) I always love to joke around, but usually what that would do was that person would be like, hey, you know what, I've been drinking too much lately, or this is the problem that's caused me. Or even sometimes you'd get the odd person that's like, yeah, I quit six months ago and I don't know if I'm an alcoholic, but I, I can't have this in my life anymore. And it would actually, create more authentic conversation, as opposed mm-hmm. to just that surface level. And that's something that I think I really needed in my life as well. So like you said, mm-hmm. that completely helped me out. So um, what I wanted to touch on before we go is, well, your podcast, but also I, you know, <laughs> like I said, I had those limiting beliefs, right? For so long, I got complacent, actually, for about four to five years in my recovery. And Uh, But I always felt like I I could do something more because, I mean, you can imagine, like, the effort that we made to get loaded, Mm. if we (laughs) took that energy, right? That's why when people say, when somebody in recovery is like, I can't lose 10 pounds, I'm like, really? But you would do anything for that beer or that bottle of wine. (laughs) If you took that same energy, right, and focused it into something good, just imagine the lives you could impact or the things you could do for your own self. I know that that is how I found my purpose, right? I finally realized that my past is in fact a gift that I can use to help others. It was life training me for a very long time because I had to have the extra education. Of course, I couldn't do it in a short time. Mm -hmm. Um, It was at least half my life. Um, but I believe that as a result, I have discovered my purpose in life. Are you still kind of on that journey of discovering your purpose or do you kind of, you know, do you realize that, hey, no, I'm, I'm, I'm here for something bigger?
1: Tamar, it's an interesting question because I'll be talking about this very thing in about two days time at a, at a meeting. I've learned to not preempt anymore because that was how I was originally. I would always want to preempt. If a big challenge came along, what's the end result going to be? So being present, and it sounds like a tired concept, I know, very, very patent, very trite, but I can't put it in any better terms than that. Let life surprise you. I never thought that last year I would begin something where I would have the privilege and the opportunity to reach out to the international community, rub shoulders with them, and a lot of them become very, very fine friends. That took me by surprise and swept me off my feet. And still today, there's a huge demand for the services that I offer and I'm happy to help. And as you quite rightly say, one has to go the extra mile to facilitate that process. And that can create a great modicum of fear. And that's entirely okay because number 1 it shows you that you are human you're not the terminator and number 2 it gives you a mountain to traverse and every time that you tra- that tra- tra- excuse me the moment that you traverse that mountain you get a positive influx of endorphins into your system and that's an internal motivator to help you to keep going and that has helped me i refer again to the helpless- helplessness that i felt the moment that i Was in my initial stages of dry recovery and cancer survivorship. I felt helpless, but being of service to others in one form or another, I want to say it almost gave me new life. So, why would I want to preempt after that? Ride the wave, because ultimately, what could happen, and this has happened to me, is you'll find more opportunities perhaps of similar caliber, like what you mentioned in social circumstances where someone might offer you some liquid lubricant and then the next moment you'll say, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, not me, and you get to that deep conversation. Or it could lead to a business opportunity, or it can lead to whatever the case may be. It's all the byproducts of recovery. A friend of mine, and I don't know if you might know him, he was also from North America, but he's from the province of Ontario, Jay Barnard, made me very attentive on this not too long ago. The whole point is to get out of your own way. Do the work. Just try it. Do it at your own pace. It doesn't necessarily have to be at breakneck pace, again, referring to the preempting part of the conversation. But ultimately, as you underneath or start to dig the underlying layers or peel the onion, as it were, you'll start seeing that you're going to receive and receive more and you'll know not to screw it up because of your second chance and i think that's the best answer anyone can give
0: i love that answer and you know the the riding the wave i feel like in the last two years i've just been open-minded to new opportunity and when something comes in i allow it to come in and I almost feel like I'm riding this wave way outside my comfort zone. I mean, I quit my job last month, so I'm, I'm just a little bit outside my comfort zone. But <laughs> it's this intense feeling that I'm embracing. You know, in the past, I'd be like, nope, okay, that, turn, let's turn around. Exhilarating, isn't it? It is. And it's. I keep telling people, I'm like, when you open, you stay teachable, right? It's so important oh, yeah. because I always like, I'm not afraid to say, I don't know. right i I got told
1: afraid to say i don't know
0: yeah i'm like that's cool no i don't know um sometimes it's easier that way but um you know i was always told don't say i know or i should (laughs) because if you're you know
1: what (laughs) i'll i'll teach you something which you can use if someone tells you if you answer them i don't know and they say but how can you say you don't know what is your plan you can just reply simply as follows that's 100 percent easy if plan A doesn't work, so I'll revert to plan B, which is basically plan A, but only with an element of panic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that.
1: <laughs> You're welcome to it, my dear.
0: That is phenomenal. So let's talk about the podcast, because I want to make sure my listeners sure. check out your podcast. What inspired you to start the podcast?
1: Well, as I mentioned, it stemmed from my morning show that I hosted for about a year, a uh, it was my morning show was called Kappa Caxton. That's where having a kappa comes from. Caxton Publishers was the the magazine company here in South Africa that uh, presses a lot of the community newspapers in in uh, in and around Gauteng, the province where I reside. And they were trying to get a footprint in the radio broadcasting market. When I came along, I started the morning show and I called it Kappa Caxton. Again, I'd like to refer to when the lockdown started and I began doing. Uh, overseas interviews zoom by then was the preferential means of communication beyond borders and virtually so those two tools formed the podcast ultimately today but how it was in the initial stages of the podcast that i would pre-record these interviews much like what you and i are doing and i would put all I, i would make it radio friendly chop them into certain bits because you're only allowed a certain amount of content before you have to roll a record or when you have to play do the housekeeping do the weather play the news do the financial indicators it's it was very time dependent and uh I decided to make it a podcast because, as I mentioned, a lot of my countrymen initially didn't gel to it whatsoever, but there was starting to become a, a, a demand to have it heard overseas. Now, bear full in mind, even though I am in a technological business, I'm a huge technoplegic character. I literally have to study the manual before I could get to the nuts and bolts of something technologically speaking, which is shocking because I'm a millennial. in title so um, ultimately i would put them up on a website like soundcloud for people to hear but it wasn't reaching the masses so it did come down to a point where i began to investigate hosting sites thank god for a hosting site like anchor and before i knew it here i've got a, a, a site on apple itunes and on spotify and after i left i decided to make it more long form i love the freedom associated with it, because it's brutal honesty. I am an open minded person. So if people would like to present an opposing view, I want to study it. Why are they saying it? And you can't do it clean, even though you and I are having a clean conversation. There are people who are very brutally honest, and it's going to come with a lot of cussing. So that was part of the thought process format wise. But now, To get into the techniques of podcasting there's a galaxy of them a galaxy i mean there's no in the initially there was just 20 now there's 20 million i dare i say i'm not accurate on the number but that's how many podcasts there could be and i wanted something that could stand out in the sense of when people listen to it they can identify it there's nothing wrong with people chatting but the average time span of a person's concentration is 38 minutes concretely then afterwards you shut off mentally and uh, what i knew could be a possible germ to have them keep listening is playing a layer of music underneath for dramatic effect psychologically And this just to bring you into my business as well, music is what I call the university of life. There's a hidden language in the lyrics, in the rhythm, in the cadence, in the timbre that speaks to your soul. So naturally, after a song, let's say it's three minutes long, has captivated you and it finishes, what would you want to do automatically? You would want to listen again so that's how i decided to add both psychological elements together to form the podcast and i'm a musicologist i have a vast library of the stuff and i always ask my guests what song speaks to you as a person what speaks your personality And often they will give me their input, like for example, they would like something which is more pop soundy or something that's a little bit more mellow, or sometimes if it's an extreme conversation, I'll even throw in rock and roll, or I'll throw a metal sound, not to show how cool I am, it's got nothing to do with me. It's just to make the conversation a lot more uh, filled with gravitas to have people listen. My interviewing style has really been tested because of this, because you and I spoke about this off air. There are lots of people that ask questions just to hear the answer, but they are not listening. There are people who like to hear themselves talk, but they never give the microphone over to their guest. I try and avoid those completely. So when I'm doing the interview, I give people a chance to talk, and so I listen. And if there's something that I can pick up on, then I can add on to it. But the whole crux is, is I want people to tell their story because the whole point of it is I want just someone to listen to an episode and feel inspired. I'm not doing it for money, not at all. If it were money, if money was a factor, I would be hitting the big, big leagues by now. But that's not my thought process. I'm not doing it for fame. I do it for two reasons, for people to tell their story and because I'm a, in, the, in the sonic business. I like to create, so it satisfies those juices for me as well. And we're still going strong. I think we're now on episode 33 that's now going to be released this week. So all in all, looking upwards.
0: I love that concept of your show. I absolutely love it. I mean, music for me, I know that it always hits a chord emotionally. Like when I wanna feel something, Mm -hmm. I'll hop in my car I'll listen to you know my favorite song depending on what mood I'm on. If I need to cry, I'll put on a song that will make mm. me emotional and cry so I can get it out, kind of thing. But um,
1: I want to ask you a stupid question, tomorrow. Yeah. Seeing that we're on the topic of music, you and I are a little bit. Uh, you're a lot more mature than I in age, so you come from a different generation than what I did. In your means of digesting music what would be your preferred medium a cd an mp3 or a vinyl
0: Ooh, that's a good question um uh, honestly right now mp3
1: sure because it's easily convenient yes i have to tell you this story Uh, It was in my college days, and whenever I had an off time, there was a local shopping center about a couple of kilometers away from the campus, and I would always go to the local music store, big music retailer. And on one appointed afternoon, I was just going to get some coffee, and as I walked inside this music retailer, there was a huge shelf, almost two meters in length, sitting five shelves deep, and it was filled to the rafters with LPs. Which, is, which I thought, wow, this is a phenomenon because at this time, I mean, I'm now 28, I'll be 29 in a couple of months. This is a rare phenomenon. And a neatly dressed gentleman walks in and he starts perusing through the items and he picks a couple, but now LPs are expensive because sadly all the manufacturers of LPs in this country w- went out by the way of the telephone, did, that time because I think CDs became the main medium... 86 in a period between 86 to 89 and in the 90s cds was the main medium so seeing these lps again was a rare phenomenon he starts uh paging through them and he takes a whole stack i must have stopped counting at 10 and he throws it on the counter and the cashier's got a glassy look on her face as she looking as he's as she's looking at this gentleman and she looks him up and down she looks at the stack of records and she looks at him this is a james bond sort of character i must add She looks down again, looks up at him, until he eventually says, are you going to ring up my items? I want these records.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) You know, when you hear music playing on, like, vinyl, for example, oh,
1: there's no equivalent. And I no know equivalent.
0: it's that sound. And I think, you know, with the MP threes, like you mentioned, it is convenient. It's like, oh cool. Mm. I, mm. I love this new song. I'm gonna download it. Boop, it's on my phone right away. But there is nothing like that, especially in the movies when you hear it. I love it when somebody puts, you know, the needle down and all of a sudden you can hear
1: absolutely and if you ever have the opportunity to purchase a vinyl which are now we're in the very fortunate era of technology to be able to experience a second renaissance of vinyl the moment that you open up that sleeve and you see all that uh classic artwork and album art and photos and the names associated with the artists or the bands that involved it creates such a value that an mp3 cannot provide i won't i won't shun the concept of an mp3 because it's a germ for the purchase of a new album but if you want to talk about the relevance sonically there's just no equivalent and i think my generation especially the, the the 20s going into the 30s still need to experience that quality and uh, the quicker that they realize it, the better it will be for all of us. But that's just my biased opinion. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I love how you can appreciate it, right? And I was just thinking, as we're talking about music now, totally shifted from, you know, the original conversation. I love the fact that we can do that. I think that's just a gift of sobriety. You know, when people Very ask much. me that are still Very struggling, much. it's like you learn to appreci- this, appreciate the, the smallest of things, right? Definitely. It's amazing.
1: As I mentioned, you don't, you know well enough not to abuse your second chance. And where everything was so fleeting in dark days, um, now it's almost a given that you won't. I mean, I used to shun salads. I was a very fussy eater. For example. But now, when I had to adopt proper eating habits, uh, when I went into remission, the taste I start to appreciate a lot more. I appreciate the air that I breathe. I appreciate the sight of a blue sky or a rainy day. And what I love the most is I appreciate people. I always thought that I was introverted. I'm not, I'm an extrovert. But I'm an extrovert in the sense of I can appreciate another person's motives, their values, their way of thinking and doing and the stances that they hold in life. I want to love people. And it's a, it's a strange and alien concept to them, Tamar, because they can't grasp it. And unfortunately, it's a very, very sad thing because I have no additional intention or motive because of it. But it should be an indicator as well that they're not used to it because they might not have received it themselves. So, but yes, uh, uh, for fear of digressing again, when your second chance comes, you know not to abuse it, and you know as well that another chance might not come again. Hey, maybe you do. Life is unpredictable. But you learn to live life on life's terms because life is for the living, key word. And it doesn't mean that uh, you're entitled to have a free-for-all. Everything comes in bits and bobs in certain phases in life. And when you learn to go with the flow and appreciate every day, it makes the whole experience a lot more worthwhile. And just one last thing before I hand over the microphone to you again. I know I'm I'm a real chatterbox. But what did I want to say? Oh, yes. I catch myself short. Oh my golly, it'll get back to me. Carry on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I, yeah, I I just, I love the just free flowing conversation, open, being able to chat about everything. Like I'm, I'm super big on that. Um, if you remember during this next question, um, you know, what's life like for you today? You know, how does it feel? Because I know that every morning, no matter how good or how bad it is, because it's a roller coaster. I mean, you gotta feel, and sometimes you hit the the you know the deepest crevices, let's call it, or canyons, and sometimes you get to the highest mountain peaks. But what is life like for you today?
1: I take it every day as it comes. I guess is the best way that I can answer it because I don't know what every day will bring, and if I keep bringing up this this motif and theme, I beg your forgiveness in advance, but it's truly true. My mindset has changed in that I'm excited for what the new day brings. Um, As a result, because of the business that I'm involved with, I don't know when the next meeting might take place and I don't know what next job I'm going to get. So first off, I'm excited to go to work, but I'm equally as excited to go home afterwards so I can successfully retire from the day's events. That's from a professional side but I want to get out and I want to experience life, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, I always set time aside for study, to journal, whatever it is that's going through my mind, whatever thoughts I have, I put them down and I try and chronicle the day's events. That helps keep me fastidious records as to how many days I've been sober. Um, And plus also doing intricate study of the 12 steps. Uh, I'm not very literate in it because it's a foreign concept to me from where I come from. But that's fine because I want to learn it. So I devote time for my responsibilities, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But I'm not in that frame of mind of, oh, please, not today. I don't want to, to face that. Caveat, though, there are certain experiences that can throw my equilibrium off. To give you an idea i've told this story when i was still doing morning radio the one day i came in exceptionally early to get myself ready and we had no coffee in the office and where this station was uh, situated was in a gaming complex of a resort hotel and casino and there was a coffee bar seven paces away this was just coming out of lockdown when we were our In hard lockdown, alcohol was banned completely, and by the time that we came back to the office, there was no announcement made that alcohol was going to be legal again. So off I go to this coffee bar, I make an order with the barista, and there is alcohol packed from top to bottom in fridges behind him. And just that very sight made me sick to my stomach. I got very anxious, Uh, my anxiety shot through the roof, began sweating, and uh i couldn't get away from there fast enough and when i ultimately got back to the office i got sick i vomited in the office bin so i had a nervous reaction so there are going to be days when reactions are going to take place i know that i'm still going to have fever dreams i know there can be the thoughts of what's the point you know we all have those dark moods but at a lot of times dare i say but I know I have the tools to circumvent them when they happen. I can call my sponsor. Um, I can call anyone in the international recovery community who has opened their doors to me and I can get it off my chest. Sorry, I didn't mean to scratch my coil over my mic, if it caused any form of feedback on your end. Um, I know that they will be available, if they are, to hear me and my plight. But that's also, part of the growing process. Because the reason being is, the brain has said no, right? But the body is saying complete opposite. So those neurons are conflicting with one another. And it can happen at five months, 12 months, two years, three years, 20 years, it's always going to be a looming factor. But because you are doing your work, because you are attending meetings, because you are in community with people, and they're in concert with your way of thinking and doing, they're motivating you and inspiring you and helping you, you can circumvent it. It's not the end. It's just the beginning.
0: That's a perfect way to end the show. Thank you so much, Chris. If people want to hear your show or get a hold of you, how can they reach you?
1: Uh, they can get in touch with me by my email, info at chrisnell.zo.za. I'm on Instagram, chrisnellmedia, radio acting music. Sadly, I don't have Twitter anymore, it's no, of no longer use to me. Uh, but I do have a Facebook page. Just type in my first name and my last name. You'll see a strapping young man in a nice tweed jacket looking off into the distance. That's me. Become a part of the family and we try and put up new episodes as quickly as possible. And I hope really when you tune in, and yes, I'm referring to you, the listener, that you'll find something that you can take home with you. And don't be afraid to reach out. If you want to talk to me, you're more than welcome to. But uh, if you want a referral, I can try my best, but I can't make promises there.
0: (laughs) 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 Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Chris, for being on the show. I really enjoyed our chat today.
1: Thank you. Likewise. Always a pleasure.
0: What a great episode and what a great chat. Um, you know, make sure you go support Chris and go check out his podcast. He's got an incredible podcast, speaks to so many amazing guests as well. And I, you know, as you know, I just, I love this podcasting platform. I am so incredibly grateful that I embarked on this journey. And I encourage you, if you are someone who has maybe thought about creating a podcast I've got some connections for you. Uh, make sure you reach out. You can reach me at Tamar at theroadforward.ca. Always happy to help. But I definitely recommend. Right? I was I was told by one of my mentors. You know, if you have a story, you have a voice. It's your duty to share that. Right? It's um. You can make a an lasting impact on those around you. So podcasting is such a great platform to do so. But if you haven't joined us yet, you hear me mention it on the intro to every show, so much fun, our collaboration zone, Zoom party calls. This is with where you get together with like-minded entrepreneurs in recovery or who have overcome adversity, And you get to network, right? You get to share what you do. You get to share your strengths. And if you've got upcoming launches or courses going on, the rest of the group is there to support you. You can also get some feedback if you're struggling with areas in your business. So this is a great way to help you scale your business and also just hang out with like-minded individuals um, that can support each other. So make sure you come check us out at www.theroadforward.com. slash collaboration zone and book your next call with us. Hope to see you there. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Road Beyond Recovery. Did you know that our dreams can become a reality? When you determine your purpose in life and you allow that purpose to guide you, anything is possible. It just takes action. Don't wait until you're ready. Start to create the life you were truly meant to live right now. I am super passionate about my mission to help people live up to their true potential. So if you want to learn more, check out my website at www.theroadforward.ca. And until next week, keep exploring what lies beyond recovery for you.